Welcome to the Grace at a Glance podcast from Grace Church of Linnets and Grace Creative. We are a Jesus church where the gospel is central, where we love Jesus, build people, and lead revival. Thanks for joining us. enthusiastic next time. (laughs) Boy, I love his energy. I hope uh, you just uh, enjoy the fact that he loves what he does. And uh, as we all do, we're so grateful to be able to serve the Lord Jesus Christ and proclaim his name. We're in this all church journey and our text that we've been following throughout the journey has been found in Isaiah chapter 61, verses one through three. You heard Pastor Mike reference that at the beginning of the call to worship. And uh, we've titled this Because of Jesus, all of the things that we have because of what Christ has done for us. And today we're looking at Because of Jesus, I have hope. And especially in this particular uh, passage of Isaiah 61, this morning we're gonna look at this uh, point here that's on the screen where Jesus says he came to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, and he stops reading there in the account of his reading at the synagogue of this passage of Isaiah. But in the passage from which he reads, the passage goes on to say, and to proclaim not only the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, and provide for those who grieve in Zion to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. Well, the passage is about hope. That's what Isaiah is writing about. And why does he need to write about that? Because the people of Israel have lost hope. They do not see the promises of God being fulfilled. Isaiah spends an enormous amount of time talking about the nations that surround Israel. The fact that Israel's promised covenant and God's promises to them in the covenant are not being experienced because of their disobedience. And so when Isaiah writes this, he's talking about the Messiah who's going to come, the servant of the Lord, who's going to come and make things right for Israel. And when Jesus stands up, he reads from the passage. We want to take a look at the passage in Isaiah, marry it to what Jesus says, And then in light of all that's happening in our world right now, try to present to you the thing that's most important of all for you to get from the passage. So here are the three reasons Jesus brings us hope. First, because he declares both grace and justice. Now, you don't have to be around the world a long time to hear somebody say that's not fair. The world we live in is not a fair world. Nowhere is fairness promised to us, and yet when fairness doesn't happen for us, we complain that it's not fair. And so when Jesus shows up, he's talking to a people uh, who are under the heavy thumb of Roman rulership, who are looking for Messiah to come and overthrow the Romans and restore Israel to a place of prominence in the world as a nation, Uh, a nation that is not underneath anybody's rule or anybody's thumb, a nation that is self-governed, a nation that is on its own to worship God. He's coming to a people who are experiencing anything but 
the promises of God's favor of the year of Jubilee. It's almost like a seesaw for the people of Israel. They've been promised the promises of God, but on the other side of that seesaw are these failures and this oppression. And if you know, if you've ever been on a teeter-totter or on a seesaw, it's always much more fun when both sides are equal. It's never any fun when one of the persons is heavier, right? Because then you're at the top and you're trying to go down and you can't because the other side's too heavy. And that's kind of what the people of Israel have experienced as Jesus comes to talk to them. The grief and the sorrow is much heavier in their life than the joy of the promises of God. So when Isaiah writes, and Jesus will quote from this later, but when Isaiah writes, he's basically saying to the people of Israel, there's a time in God's program when both grace and justice will be accomplished in God's world. The day of the Lord's favor refers to the day of God's grace and the age of God's grace. The day of the Lord's vengeance refers to that time when the vengeance of God will be poured out against the enemies of Israel. Now, I want you to notice something about grace and justice. Sometimes little words in a passage of Scripture make all the difference in helping us understand it. But if you take a look at the passage, you'll see that when God talks about the day of favor and grace, he doesn't actually use the word day. He uses the word year. Do you see it? And when he refers to the justice of God and the vengeance of God upon his enemies, he uses the word day. Now, let me ask you a question. Which one is longer and greater, a year or a day? Year. Well, uh, thank you. <laughs> a year. That's right. You're going to find, we're going to look at a, at, a, at a verse in a little while, that when God talks about balancing the scales, the weight of God's grace and the length of his grace is much greater than the weight and the length of his justice and vengeance. The reason that is is because God says nobody could withstand his vengeance. In fact, at the end of time, when God comes back and the world is judged, the Bible says that people cannot un live underneath the tribulation that comes out of the vengeance and wrath of God upon the sinfulness of the world. And that if God himself hadn't stopped it, the world would never be able to go on. So when he's writing to the Israelites here, in Isaiah 61, he's writing to a people that have been oppressed by all of the nations around them. And they keep crying out for God's justice they keep crying out for God's vengeance against their enemies. They keep crying out that God will make those things which are unjust, just. And God, in fact, does promise that he is going to do it. Why does it take so long for God to bring justice to his people? Well, the Bible tells us, and Jesus tells us, and the apostles tell us, 
that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to a knowledge of the truth. And what is the knowledge of the truth? Well, it's not only that God is going to bless people with a, a year of jubilee, a long period of grace and blessing, but also that he's going to make things wrong right, something that all of our hearts long for. God, the world is going to hell in a handbasket. Can't you do something about it and make it right? This is not right. Why do you keep allowing wrong to continue on for so long? The reason we know is because God is not willing that any should perish. And so God's long-suffering, God's patience, God's kindness on the scales of God's work is immense and long and deep. God does not have a short fuse. Do you remember the story of the disciples that are sent out two by two? And James and John are sent out, and they come back, and they want Jesus to call down hellfire upon the cities that won't listen to their message, right? And God calls them, Jesus names them, sons of thunder, because they want hellfire to come down from heaven and destroy the wicked. And Jesus says, that's not the time, and that's not the place, and you don't understand the heart of God. If you want vengeance brought down on the world, you may not understand the depth of the power of the wrath of God when it comes. And so Jesus comes to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Later on will come the day of God's vengeance. Now, when the Lord comes... He can deliver the people from grief and despair because of his life and death, setting us free from sin and death. And of course, the people of Israel were looking for a messianic deliverer who would become a king in this world. And Jesus came to demonstrate that he is making a kingdom for all time from every group and people that exist on planet Earth. And yet, of course, Israel is his special possession. God has a plan and a program for them. And God's promise to them is that he will right the wrongs that they are experiencing, just like he will right the wrongs that you and I experience. Now, I had this sermon all worked out. And yesterday, something happened in the world, right? Hamas and Hezbollah fired more than 5,000 rockets on the land of Israel, killing 389 and wounding 1,867 is the last numbers that I saw. And uh, this anguish in the land of Israel hasn't just started as of yesterday. It's been going all the way back to Abraham who was promised this land by God. And always, when you read the biblical record, the nations around Israel are constantly at war with Israel. The nations surrounding Israel hate Israel. God's promised possession is what he calls his people. He calls you that too. And he says that he is going to bring and make things right. But first, he's going to give opportunity for people everywhere 
to repent. Because you see, the plans and purposes of God for Israel are intertwined with the plans and purposes of God for the world. And you and I live in the world, and you and I need to take heart when we see these things happen, because as things begin to unfold, as Israel begins to escalate, as the world begins to turn against the promises and the peoples of God, God wants us to be prepared. And he wants you not to miss what he's doing now in the age of grace so that you miss it and end up in the day of vengeance. And so, in his word, God has spoken a great deal about what's going to happen at the end. And uh, I just want to take a moment in light of yesterday's events in light of the fact that the world is one trigger away from being a complete disaster. I just want you, if you're sitting here as a person who wonders, what's the end going to be? Or you're a person here who hasn't given much thought about God lately. I want you to listen as I read from Matthew chapter 24, what is often called the Olivet Discourse. But it's the disciples who are asking Jesus, all right, God promised both a day and a year of jubilee and a day of vengeance. When is the day of vengeance coming when you'll make everything right? And I want you to listen to Jesus' words. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will all of this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the world? Jesus answered, Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name claiming I am the Christ and will deceive many. Now, you often, and perhaps you think that that's the actual words that they'll use, and I believe some of them will, but some of them will present themselves as world leaders who can fix the things that are wrong so as to divert the faith of God's people from Jesus to themselves. So Jesus said, watch out for those kinds of people. They will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom there will be famines and earthquakes in various places, and all of these are the beginning of birth pains. Well, if you've just been paying attention at all the last six months, what have you heard about? Wars and rumors of wars, earthquakes in various places just last week in India. Yesterday, by the way, while Israel was being attacked, there was a giant earthquake in Afghanistan. Massive. Jesus says, when you begin to hear of these things, when they become more and more prevalent, it means that the end is getting near. He goes on to say, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most people will grow cold. Love to whom? Love towards God. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. And the gospel of this kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. All right, so as he tells the disciples, when is this day coming when you're going to bring the fulfillment of the rest of Isaiah 61 
Jesus begins to say to them, you can look for these kinds of signs. And when you see these kinds of signs, it means that the age of jubilee and the age of grace is nearing its end. Because while God is long-suffering, while God is kind, and while God is patient, the kindness, the long-suffering, and the patience of God towards sinners does come to an end. There is a day that God's word predicts that the age of grace is coming to an end, which means that we should have a sense of urgency about the things we see around us and as we think about the people in our life that we care about or the people in the world who are still lost. We rail and rage against things we see which are contrary to the word of God and which are immoral. But have we thought about what happens if those who practice such things are still here on the day of vengeance? Won't be a good day for them, will it? Won't be a good seven years for them, will it? It doesn't have a good ending, does it? Now, you and I, the Bible says, in Paul's teachings to the Thessalonians, were not destined for wrath. And when we come to the Lord Jesus Christ by faith, and we look at his cross, what is it that we say when we accept him as our Savior? Here's what we're saying. Jesus, I believe that you paid the penalty for my sin and suffered the wrath of God in my place. Now notice again, all of the year of Jubilee and the day of vengeance. The heart of God of love and kindness is far weightier and heavier than the day of vengeance. But because God is holy, because he is just, and because the universe needs to be made right where all of the wrong has happened, the day is coming. When is the day coming? None of us know. But all of us are supposed to be aware. Now, I uh, was going to uh, a meeting at 7 a.m. one day last week. And, you know, it's darker now in the morning, and so you have to have your, your lights on and it was a little bit foggy, and I'm, I confess, and I've asked the Lord to forgive me, my, my foot was a little heavier that morning. And I looked at my clock, and I knew I was running a little bit behind, and so I pushed on the pedal a little heavier. And as I came around the corner, this is what I observed. A high school student getting ready to catch the bus who was walking with a smartphone in his hand while not being very smart. And he was walking down the sidewalk like this. And just at the last moment that I see him, but he reached the sidewalk and he reached the crosswalk and he kept doing this. He was in the middle of the road and I was stopped and he kept doing this. And he got to the other side of the road and I went on, and I looked in my mirror, and now he was on a different sidewalk, and he was doing this. You know, I used to think, how in the world, with all the things and teachings of the Bible, does the Bible say that Jesus comes like a thief in the night and nobody expects him? Well, now I understand. Everybody's doing this. Hmm. Wow, I could win a million dollars. Wow. I'm being asked to join another group. I have 32 groups I belong to on Facebook. Wow. I can't imagine what her mother would say if she saw that picture. Wow. 
And all around us are the signs that the day of grace is winding down and that the day of the Lord's coming is soon and our world is so fixated here that it can't see anything else around there. Christian, that better not be you. The Bible says that our job is to look upward and forward to his coming so that we are prepared when he comes. Lots and lots of people are going to be unprepared when he comes. And we got a whole thing in our world called preppers, right? Preppers are all concerned about if, if, if something happens, that they got enough water, enough food, and enough guns to make sure they can take care of whatever zombies attack. All right, that's a real thing, and you should be prepared that way. But I'm amazed at how many people will prep their basement with water and food, but won't prep their soul. What does it profit you if you build an incredible prep house and lose your soul? What does it benefit you if you have all the rifles you need to defend from the zombies but lose your soul? What does it profit you if you have all of the food that you need for you and your family for 120 years but lose your soul? Would we prep only for our bodies and only for our safety but not do anything at all about preparing for the coming of Christ and the end of the day of grace. And if you're here without Christ and the wrath of God for your sin has not been poured out upon Jesus, if you wait until the end of the age of grace, the wrath of God will be poured out on you. I don't like it, Pastor, when you talk about God's wrath. Yeah, I don't like talking about it either. It's no fun for me up here to stand up here and talk about this. I don't like it. Now, if you're tempted as you hear these things to say, oh, just another preacher preaching about the end, maybe you're thinking into your heart something like this. <clears throat> Peter says, dear friends, this is my second letter to you. I've written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets. That's people like Isaiah. And the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. First of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming he promised? Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and the destruction of ungodly men. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. As some understand slowness, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. 
But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Now God's word says that that day's coming. The day of vengeance for our God, Isaiah states. And that if God didn't protect his people from that, there would be nothing left. And so this message is a serious one, isn't it, that Jesus is delivering? That there's this age and an opportunity for you to get right with God, an age of blessing and of jubilee, and God wants you to be right with him by putting your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. There at Calvary's tree, Jesus took your sin, which is worthy of the wrath of God. He bore it in his body on the tree, He cried out to God when he was under the weight of that burden, my God, why have you forsaken me? And if God will forsake his own son when he becomes sin, how do you possibly think that you will not perish if you haven't had your sin penalty paid for by the Savior? You can't just take this for granted. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day when God invites you to come to know him personally through faith in Jesus Christ. Christ loves you, and it's why he died in your place. Because Jesus, as the Son of God and as the God-man, did what you can't. He paid for your sin. And now, when you receive him, you have eternal life and the promise of conquering death through the resurrection. This is the message of the good news. But the good news doesn't mean anything if it doesn't rescue you from bad news. Have you ever thought about that? The reason it's called good news is because it's a provision for when it gets bad. God came to rescue you, and and repentance, uh, grace doesn't mean anything without repentance. You have to be sorry for where you've lived in your life. You have to come to God seeking his forgiveness because you're sorry about the way you've lived and the things you've done. You can't simply say, well, I'll sin because God's a God of grace. No, God is a God of grace, but the day of grace is now, and it requires you to come to the cross and to turn from your ways of wickedness and come to the Savior before it's too late. And if you're sitting there thinking, well, well, just another preacher preaching doomsday, I just want you to remember what we read from 2 Peter 3. There will be scoffers at the end of time who say, yeah, 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 you've been saying this for a long time. Yeah, we have for 21 centuries, right? For 21 centuries, preachers like me have been telling people to prepare and get ready and to make sure they're right with God. One of these days, folks, a preacher's going to preach that opportunity for the last time. One of these days. We, you know... We don't predict when it's going to happen because Jesus says none of us knows, not even him. Only God the Father knows when Christ is coming back. And the only reason Christ hasn't come back yet is because of the loving heart of God towards people that he wants to redeem. And that might be you. But you can't take for granted that this age of grace is going to go on forever because the ages of the Scripture are clear. They last for a while And then another phase of God's program begins to take place. And the next phase in the program of God 
is the punishment of the world for its wickedness, the redemption of Israel and the people of God, and the establishment of the kingdom of God in full reality. That's what's next. While the nations rage, right? Why do the nations rage and the people imagine a vain thing, the prophet, the, the prophet says in the Psalms? The nations imagine vain things. And the psalmist goes on to say this, and God in heaven laughs. So when Jesus comes, he comes to deliver his people from their grief and despair and to bring them joy because he has a promise that the injustices of the world which caused them to mourn the pain and anguish of this world have been defeated by Christ at the cross. And therefore, he displaces mourning with joy. Well, I don't really know if I'm going to get a bigger heaven if I, or a bigger mansion if I participate in Turkey Bowl. I'm not sure that that's in the Word of God. It might be apocryphal. But, but here's what I do know is promised. <clears throat> that the day is coming when God takes away my ashes of mourning. And you see, that's what the people of Israel did at a funeral. At a funeral, the people of Israel took ashes and dumped ashes on their head. And they mourned for the loss of, of their persons that they loved. They put ashes on their head when they mourned about the destruction of their nation. But at a wedding, there was a crown of beauty. The, the adornment of the bride in all of her joy on her wedding day, that's what he's referring to. He's basically saying that the day of mourning for God's people where they had to put ashes on their head is going to be replaced by the Messiah with a joy and a crown of beauty. And the Bible tells us that in the New Testament, that for the people of God, there's a day called the marriage supper of the Lamb, right? And on that day, there's a day of joy when we are united intimately with Jesus Christ, our Savior, forever and ever. And that'll be a crown of beauty. Now, in this side of eternity, there's a lot of sorrow, a lot of ashes. And Jesus came to help us understand that he's going to replace that mourning with joy. So let me remind you of this verse as I close. God's anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may last through the night, but joy comes with the morning. Do you see the balance imbalance again? Look, anger lasts a moment. Favor lasts a lifetime. Dear friend, why? Would you experience the anger of God in a moment of God's justice when you could have an eternity of grace and joy and hope simply by calling out to the Savior this day? The Savior loves you. He calls you. He wants you to come to himself. And I invite you to do that because he will give you hope. And you'll hear in a moment how God brings hope to our hearts even in the most difficult of places when we turn to him. Jesus, thank you for your word. Pretty heavy subject today. Not exactly, Lord, what I was planning to preach when I prepared the message, but you laid this on my heart in light of yesterday's attacks. And so I want to pray now that uh, as we think about our own life before you, 
that if we've never received you as our Savior, today we'll call out to you. Because today is the age of grace. Lord, let us know you before it's too late. Thank you for giving hope to us in all things in this life. And now, Lord, encourage our hearts as we hear the testimony of our sister. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 That was a great sermon. Thank you so much, Pastor Tim. Um, so this week, I get the privilege of interviewing Tony Thomas. Tony has been working with our staff, helping out with some administrative things for about the past year. She's been a part of Grace for several years, and she's just been a tremendous blessing. So we have a couple of questions for Tony this morning. She's going to share a little bit of her story, and God's going to use that in our lives. So, uh, so let's open our hearts to the Holy Spirit as we listen to God's story in Tony's life. So two questions um, that we have for you, Tony, and the first is, tell us about a time of despair in your life and how Jesus moved you from that space to a place of hope. Um, so as many of you know, I went through a divorce about five years ago, and I will say the majority, actually, of my adult life has been spent feeling sad, embarrassed, ashamed of choices I've made over and over again. Mm. Um, I often turn to uh, alcohol, and I would drink on a fairly regular basis in the evening to cope and to numb my feelings. I didn't realize that's what I was doing at the time, but looking back, it clearly was. I felt like that was the only way to not feel what I was feeling. Mm. Um, about two years ago, I just, I always knew it was wrong. But about two years ago, I just decided I didn't want to live this way anymore. I really started working um, on improving myself and truly feeling the grace of Jesus and forgiveness. I just felt like I was not forgivable for a long time. Wow. Um, and I just, I devoted myself uh, to reading my Bible pretty much daily, <laughs> um, listening to worship music every morning. That's how I start my day. Um, and it just, it was not, I can say it was not one clear moment when I accepted it, but about 10 months ago, I did fully feel the grace and forgiveness. And for the first time in my life, I don't feel lonely, even mm. though I'm not in a relationship with anyone, I don't ever feel lonely and I feel this peace about me and I truly accepted uh, Jesus' forgiveness. It was just the last 10 months of my life have been pretty amazing <laughs> compared to the time leading up to it. Um, I will say something that came on my heart as I've been praying about this is like the circumstances of my life have not changed, but the way I've been living in it has. Wow. So I don't feel the need to, to numb anymore. I haven't had, I mean, the last two years I cut back, but the last 10 months I haven't had, I haven't drank at all. It's changed my whole relationships with my children, um, with people around me, and I don't, I just, I don't walk around with shame anymore. It's wow. amazing. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> oh, that's great. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, the other question that I have for you is, how has Christ's victory now begun to shape your sense of identity and self-worth? Um... I don't look for approval of other people anymore. I, a big part of what I did is I always, if somebody didn't like me, I just couldn't, it was hard for me to deal with. And not that I like it if people don't like me, but it doesn't change. I know who I am now. 
um, and I just feel like that makes me a better role model to my children. Um, so I, I just, I feel, I feel, I don't feel embarrassed in my past anymore. Wow. It is part of what formed me. I'm not proud of it. I pray my kids never have to go through what the things I did, mm-hmm. clearly, but I'm not, I'm not ashamed of it. Wow. So. We're so thankful uh, for you sharing this. I want, I'd love to say a prayer for you, if I can. Mm-hmm. God, thank you so much for Tony and her story. Thank you, Jesus, that uh, you're not finished with us. Our stories don't end here. That you have a powerful transformation in store for each and every one of us as we continue to grow in you. And God, for those of us in this room who are in a space where Tony used to be, we just pray that you would invite them to and give them strength to walk into a season of greater hope where the victory of Jesus begins to shape our identity. We pray for Tony that you bless her and that you use her and that you bless her kids. And we're just so thankful for her. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hosting for this podcast has been brought to you by Anchor from Spotify. Our intro and outro song is Creative Mind by Ben Sound. From all of us here at Grace Church, thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.